Hello, everybody. Everybody doing well? Good. I'm Jeff Nicky. I'm from Orchard Hill Church on staff there. Um, I don't think I got to teach here last year. I was really afraid I offended somebody, but um, I am really excited to be back at BASIC. Um, as, uh, as we get started, I just encourage you right now to kind of find in your Bible Matthew chapter 14. Um, that's where we're going to start tonight, and we're going to start right away with verse 1. Um, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament, so it's about two-thirds of the way to your right in the Bible, and um, it's one of four Gospels, um, four biographies that we have about Jesus. Um, we're starting a new series called Hope. It's all about hope, and um, I think it's the perfect series to come out of um, what Basic has spent the last few weeks on, walking through Lamentations, and it's the, the perfect series to lead us into this next season of Advent and Christmas, Christmas a season of hope. Um, some of you weren't here for the Lamentations series. Maybe some of you are here for the very first time at BASIC. Welcome. Um, we're glad that you're here. Um, a quick summary uh, about Lamentations. For those who were lamenting all the brokenness in the world that were living in Old Testament times, they had this hope in the arrival of the promised Messiah that encouraged them to keep living out their faith in God. These people never actually lived to see that Messiah born. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, authors of these Gospels, they're people who actually walked with the Messiah, or they walked with people who walked with the Messiah. And they tell us what Jesus did. They tell us actually that he came, that he was born into our broken world. His name was Jesus. And then that this book actually records these stories about Jesus and his life and this history of Jesus that can bring us, it's an incredible gift that brings us hope as we hear these stories and this truth about Jesus and what he did in this world. And, and these stories can encourage us to live a life of hope and a life of faith so that we can bring hope to our broken world. Now, I got to start by saying not everything in this book that we read um, always is, is easy, to, easy to understand. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it seems incomplete. Sometimes we're reading along and we just get confused. Sometimes we misinterpret it. And I was thinking it's kind of like that function on your voicemail that like interprets voicemail into text sometimes. And it'll get a couple words wrong and it changes the whole meaning of stuff. So I was, um, I got one of these text, these voicemails recently from a friend of mine. He coaches down at uh, Iowa. I hadn't heard from him in a long time. And I never look at the text that accompany the voicemail. But for some reason, I, I looked at this. I think I didn't recognize this number. I looked at it, and it was very disturbing. You can see for yourself on the screen. Uh, I had to listen to the message to make sure that what he was saying. He actually said, I'm coming to Cedar Falls tonight. <laughs> Not see your balls, which was a big relief. <laughs> but sometimes the message in the Bible gets just as confusing to us, doesn't it? And, uh, and we can read something. And so when Carter actually asked me to lead off this series on hope, and he said we're gonna, uh, and he assigned me this uh, first 21 verses of chapter 14 in Matthew, and I read through it. I actually went back to him and I said, "Did you get the wrong passage?" I was like, "This? Are you sure that 
this is the one you want me to teach about hope on. He goes, yeah, that's the right passage. So um, let's open it up, and you'll quickly see why it is that I said this. It, it begins this way. Uh, at the time of Jesus, at that, at that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, Herod, the governor of this area that uh, Jesus was living in and the others were living in, he heard the reports about Jesus. And he said to his attendants, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. That is, that, that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Here's why he said that, because Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Now you see why I went back to Carter. It's like, not only is this shocking and insane, but where is the hope in this? It's completely void of any hope, especially for John, right? <laughs> and his followers who are carrying out this body without a head, and therefore probably for other followers of God. John the Baptist was a prophet. He's a messenger from God, and he's going around with this great message. He's telling everybody to stop what you're doing and come check this out because the kingdom of heaven is actually coming here right now. Jesus is bringing it. And the crowds were flocking to John to hear this message of good news, but not Herod. Now, Herod's life is already full. It's full of power. It's full of parties. He's not interested in stopping this life. So John starts to get in his face a little bit. He says, hey, you're one of the Jewish leaders here. You should be most concerned about this. You're the one who should be running out to find out. And he calls out Herod's adultery. He says, you shouldn't be sleeping with your brother's wife. Herod loses it, and he throws John in prison. Herod's new wife loses it even more, and John loses his head because of this. Where is the hope in this messed up story? Where is the hope in this broken world for John or his followers or even for Herod who now has to wrestle with his guilty conscience? If God's messenger who's sent by God to bring good news, to, to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, he's the hope of the world, if he suffers a fate like this, what hope do the rest of us have? Many of us don't need this reminder, but John is going to remind us anyway that followers of Jesus are going to face challenging times. They're going to face suffering. They're going to face overwhelming circumstances that at times will threaten to destroy our hope. But hope has two flavors, what we hope for and who we hope in. And when the things that we hope for 
disappoint us or they fail to deliver us from death, the one we hope in will deliver us to new life. Who you hope in is far more important than what you hope for. John knew this. This is what John's big concern was. Think about John sitting in this prison, waiting. What's he hoping for? What do you think he's hoping for? A release? (laughs) A dramatic rescue from Jesus? Absolutely that's what he's hoping for. And neither one of them happens. So you know he's discouraged. He's scared to death. He's full of questions and doubts. But John is far more focused on whether he's hoping in the right person than whether he's hoping for the right thing. And we get a glimpse of this actually back in in chapter 11. Matthew tells us that John was discouraged. He was was, uh, having some doubts about Jesus. And so he sent his followers to actually ask Jesus whether he was really the Messiah or if he should be expecting someone else or something different. See, John had hoped for something different from this Messiah. He'd hoped, like everyone else, that this, this Messiah would come and he'd overthrow this oppressive Roman government. And that didn't happen. None of the promises that John had hoped for were fulfilled yet by this Messiah. So he wants to know, do I have the right guy? Have I put my hope in the right person? Jesus, are you really the Messiah? This is what what, uh, Jesus says to tell John as he sends his followers back to him. This is in Matthew 11. It's on the screen if you want to follow along. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And what Jesus knew is that John would recognize these words from the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah, that these things needed to be fulfilled before a new government could be established. And so that when John's disciples go to tell him what they see and hear, that Jesus is fulfilling fulfilling these things here and now, John is going to be encouraged. His hope in Jesus will be restored. John's hope for certain outcomes died with him in that prison. But his hope in Jesus was restored. Now hope brought a new life. You know, we're all people who have hopes for things, aren't we? We all hope for certain things. My son just took the GREs a couple weeks ago. He's hoping that his test scores and his grades are going to get him into a really good graduate program. He's looking at North Carolina. His dad's hoping that he, his scores are good enough he's going to get some money to pay for that graduate school in North Carolina. Uh, some of you are hoping for good grades yourself or for a good job. The rest of you are hoping for a girlfriend who gets good grades and a good job. We all hope for stuff, right? When we're little, we make wishes and we blow out the candles on our birthday cake. At Thanksgiving, what do we do? We take the wishbone and we break the wishbone, hoping we get the big half so we can make a wish. Anybody do that? And we realize that the wishbone didn't do the turkey any good, right? So there's that. At Christmas, we make wish lists on Amazon or other places, telling people what we hope they'll get us for Christmas. 
And sometimes our hopes are small, maybe they're trivial, and sometimes they're life or death. My friend Ted, who has cancer, is hoping for a cure. Another friend of mine who's battling depression right now is hoping that his friends will have compassion with him, will have patience, will help him to discover his purpose. Sunday night after puking about 20 or 25 times, I went to the hospital hoping for medicine that could make it stop or that they would just put me out of my misery and kill me. <laughs> they didn't do that. They gave me the medicine, thank God. <laughs> we all hope for something, but as I'm sitting there, I'm going, I was thinking, what if they don't give me the meds? What if there's nothing that can stop this? What if this is my life? And the truth of the matter is, is that no matter what we hope for, someday that thing is going to disappoint us. Someday it's going to fail us. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's a cure, whatever outcome we hope for, someday it's going to disappoint us. It's going to break our hearts. Hope has two flavors. What we hope for, who we hope in, and who we hope in is far more valuable, far more important. Jesus, Jesus never promises to give us everything that we hope for, but he guarantees that when we hope in him, we will be blessed. We will be made happy, he says. It's the promise that he made to John, who was sitting in that prison cell, blessed. How happy will be the one who doesn't fall away, but keeps their hope in me. When the things you hope for fail to deliver, the one you hope in promises to deliver to you new life. I encourage you to put your hope in Jesus. The story continues. If I can figure out where it continues, where we left off here. Okay, so when Jesus heard what had happened, this is verse 13. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. I just want to point out, sometimes I think that we forget that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. And Jesus' heart, just like ours, breaks for people who suffer, especially for those who suffer on account of following him. And in his own time of grief, Jesus turns to find hope in his Father. Gives us the model for what we should do. Crowds catch wind of where he's going, and they head out to follow him, and there's massive crowds. We're told later in the story there's 5,000 men plus women and children. What do you think those crowds were following Jesus for? Why were they chasing him down? They're all hoping for something for him, right? The, the, their world, their life had disappointed them somehow in some way. They'd, they'd, they'd been disappointed. And so now this Jesus guy shows up, and there's a new reason to hope. They're hoping that in him they will find their hopes fulfilled. So they chase after him. And Jesus doesn't disappoint them. He has great compassion, such great compassion that he leaves his own grief behind and he spends an entire day healing their sick. Our disappointments in life are meant to send us running after Jesus and to find hopes fulfilled in Jesus. 
Are you sick? Are you hurting? Are you brokenhearted? Chase after Jesus, the compassionate one. No matter what you're going through, you can expect to be met with his compassion as you follow him, as you chase after him. He's never too busy or preoccupied to be present and share his compassion with us. It may not always bring healing, but it can restore your hope. My friend Ted, who has cancer, he sent me a text uh, a few weeks ago, and he'd been discouraged by the lack of progress he was seeing in his treatment, and um, he was feeling sorry for himself. And uh, so he said, he, he turned to God, and he told God, he said, hey, I'm not feeling loved by you very much right now, God. And he said Jesus kind of gently reminded him to take a look at all of the friends and family who were praying for him. He thought about that in his tractor. And then Ted said this. He said, there was this very real moment when I heard Jesus say, you make me laugh, Ted. And tears just flowed. He said, it was a huge blessing. That's compassion. Ted still has cancer. He wasn't miraculously healed. Jesus didn't promise that he was going to fix Ted and that he was going to be okay. But that's compassion. He restored Ted's hope. If you're discouraged or you're depressed or you're lonely or you have doubts, chase after Jesus. This compassion restore your hope. As evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Disciples, I think, seem a little bit upset, a little bothered by the situation. They don't address Jesus by name. You notice that? They don't, they don't call him Lord or Master in terms of respect that they usually use when they spoke to him. Instead, they, they come to him with a demand, send these people away so they can go buy some food. And when Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat, their response is just as abrupt, right? I mean, they're like, there's barely enough food for us. The closest Panera is miles away. And it's about to close. I mean, do you want us to give the little we have to them? They're discouraged. And my guess is that they were reeling from the news of John's death just as Jesus was. Not only that, but I bet they're a little bit nervous or a little bit scared after hearing that he was beheaded. Maybe they're afraid for their own lives. Maybe they didn't think that Jesus had done enough to try to save John. Did they wonder, like John, whether Jesus really was the Messiah? I mean, they'd left everything to follow this guy. Or are they simply exhausted, hungry after a long day? Does Jesus even notice their needs? Lots of reasons for this disrespect and this confusion. And Jesus doesn't seem to be bothered by any of it. He's not bothered by their response, and he's not bothered by their lack of resources. 
He simply says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The disciples bring what little they have to Jesus, and he turns their meager meal into this bountiful feast. Experts say there were probably 10,000 people or more there. We read it's 5,000. You count the women and children, probably 10,000 people there. And they all ate and were satisfied. And get this, there were more leftovers than what they had food to begin with. There's a basket full for each one of the disciples. I had to think about this for a while, and as I thought about it, in fact, the, the thought occurred to me, it said, is Jesus doing what I think he's doing here? Is Jesus actually showing his disciples how hope works? How hope actually works? I mean, dis they're discouraged. They're lacking what they need. They're faced with the impossible. And so these followers of Jesus, they give what little they have to Jesus. And he multiplies it. And he turns it into real, tangible blessings for us and the world around us. What could be more hopeful? For the disciples, for the people at the feast. This kind of hope is powerful. It has no limits. You realize that? Jesus can do anything. He's asking his disciples. Put their hope firmly in him. Don't worry about what you don't have. Just bring what you do have. And he will bring hope to the broken world by multiplying what you have. Feeding of the 5,000 is uh, the only miracle in Jesus' ministry recorded in all four Gospels. I think it's um, for a couple of reasons. And one of the reasons is because I think Jesus knows that we have a tendency to look more at uh, what we don't have and to think that we don't have anything to offer other people. And so then we limit our participation in blessing the world and in serving the world along with and participating in that. The needs of the world always seem to outweigh our available resources. But notice Jesus doesn't ask his disciples to do the impossible. He doesn't even ask them to believe the impossible. He asks for their practical obedience. Bring what you do have. Put it in my hands, however insignificant or small, and let me turn it into an abundant blessing. And he does it. Second reason is I think that God really wants us to know that he cares as much about physical and social problems in our world, like hunger, as he does about spiritual problems. And his followers should too. We do this by bringing real resources to real problems, real food, real money, real time, real talents. We bring it all to Jesus to be multiplied. And when we do this and we share what results, that's when real tangible hope is produced for our broken world. This is how hope works. Do you realize what this means? Do you realize what this means for you? Basic, you and your resources, plus Jesus, are the hope of the world. You learn a lot of equations at school, if you're math or whatever, even in high school. 
one equation you should remember. You plus your resources plus Jesus equals the hope of the world. I'm going to invite the band up for a time of reflection, and uh, we'll follow leading some, wor some worship after that. But I want to encourage you as they come and, and guide you in a little bit of reflection time to think about how powerful hope is, and if this is how hope works, what our responsibility is in this, to release this hope. There are people all over this world who are in desperate need of hope. You know them. They're on this campus. They're in your families. Right? They're around this community. They're friends on other campuses that you have. And Jesus says, you, you my followers, you give them something. You give them hope. So what will you bring them? What will you bring to Jesus to multiply and give to them? What do you have that others around you need? What are you holding back and keeping for yourself? Afraid that you don't have enough and you're afraid to share it with others. What are you holding on to? Jesus is saying, bring it to me. Will you trust him with it? Give it to him. Let him multiply and be a blessing for you as well as these people around you. I encourage you, ask God what it is. If he speaks to you tonight, write it down and then follow through. So hope is unleashed in us.